0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Royal College of Anesthetists. I'm Dr Sarah Muldoon, a member of the Royal College of Anesthetists Council and a consultant neuroanaesthetist at King's College Hospital in South London. This podcast is recorded in celebration of World Anesthesia Day and the topic of this episode is neuroanaesthesia. Further podcasts will be published alongside this conversation to mark the special occasion. So please have a look out for those to learn more about what anesthesia is all about. Today I'm joined by Dr. Chris Carey, a consultant neuroanesthetist at Brighton and Sussex University Hospital, who is also associate postgraduate dean and council member of the Royal College. Welcome Chris.
1: Morning Sarah. Thank you.
0: In the introductions I mentioned that we both have a special interest in neuroanesthesia. Would you mind explaining to our listeners what that means we do?
1: Yes, of course. So Neuroanesthesia really is providing anaesthesia and perioperative care for patients undergoing neurosurgery and spinal surgery. So so cranial neurosurgery really is dealing with surgery of the brain and the nerves coming out of the brain, I suppose I would say as well. And then spinal surgery obviously deals with the bones and spinal cord. Um, Many centres combine those two into a single unit. Um, as they do in Brighton in fact. So my clinical work encompasses a mixture of both cranial and spinal surgery which makes for for a very interesting variation in work actually because they can be very different procedures.
0: Absolutely. So what attracted you into undertaking this subspecialty area of anaesthesia in the first place?
1: Well, I trained in London and I was very lucky to be able to experience a number of different units doing lots of different anaesthetic uh, subspecialties. And I actually came to neuroanaesthesia, I, I went on an attachment at the National Hospital at Queen Square relatively late on in my training. Um, having done a lot of other things like cardiac anaesthesia and ENT and airway anaesthesia beforehand. But when I went to Queen Square, I was really struck at just how the team interacted to care for these patients who were undergoing really complex and high risk procedures. So the surgeon, the anaesthetist and the theatre staff all working very very closely together there was lots of discussion lots of teamwork which is something that I have always really sort of enjoyed in in medical practice I have to say Um, and I was really struck at the, the benefit that I could see to the patients of working in this way and the difference that it made, um, having people who who really were able to take a very holistic view of of the care that they were receiving. It wasn't just about what was happening in theatre, it was about making sure that everybody knew what the plan was beforehand, that the patients were all given the information that they needed as well. There was plenty of time for discussion, conversations you know some really difficult complicated conversations that that we needed to have with them and then to come and work together in that way i thought was really uh, a, a very positive experience for me and of course there are interesting technical challenges i suppose associated with neuroanesthesia too the cases tend to be you know major surgery and anesthesia cases with lots of uh, different requirements for for monitoring and, and things like that which of course we all love as anaesthetists.
0: Absolutely I was lucky enough to also get to work at the National Hospital in London and sounds like I enjoyed it as much as you did. I think one of the things I really enjoy about neuroanesthesia is the as you say the variety of cases we look after like people with all sorts of conditions from Parkinson's disease to strokes to brain tumours and we get to look after people certainly where I work at King's in South London of all age groups from babies up to the very elderly and I think it's a really varied and enjoyable specialty and it means a lot to me to get to look after patients who sometimes have very serious conditions um, and really benefit the most from a strong team and a kind and caring anaesthetist. You mentioned that the operations we tend to be involved in anaesthetising for can be very long. And I certainly found understandably that the patients I care for are more nervous than perhaps patients that I've anaesthetised for things like a hip operation or to have their gallbladder out. When you meet your patients in the days before or the morning of surgery, how do you go about explaining what's going to happen with their anaesthetic? How do you reassure them?
1: So that's a really good question. I have to say that the conversation that we have, that I have, and I'm sure you have with patients is such an important time. It's such a fundamentally important part of their care. And it's really, really, really important to establish a rapport very quickly and to be able to give them calm and clear guidance and reassurance. And, And actually, these people tend to be um, unfortunately suffering with serious medical problems, uh, sometimes life-threatening problems and it is incredibly challenging and stressful for you, for, for them. Um, so I think first and foremost is to try and be calm and reassuring. Um, that they understand that I will be there looking after them or there will be an anaesthetist there looking after them the entire time that they're in theatre from the the moment they come into the anaesthetic room to after they wake up there will be an anaesthetist, a trained anaesthetist looking after them who will be able to keep a really close eye on everything to ensure that things go smoothly, and anything that any any challenges that come up during the operation are managed very promptly as well. And I think people sometimes have some misconceptions about how teams work in theatre and how anaesthetic care is is delivered. Um, and I think, in, generally speaking, they find it quite reassuring to know that that people will be really watching them very very closely all the time that they're asleep, regardless of how long the surgery goes on for really. Um, I think a clear explanation of, of what's going to happen is generally something that people are happy to hear, but you do have to be mindful that everybody has a slightly different view on what information they need to know or think they need to know and what information they want to know. So adopting a really flexible approach and being happy to answer any questions that people might have is also really important as well so i like to think that i can strike up a really meaningful conversation with with my patients in in no time at all really because it is important and it is important that we try and make the whole experience as pleasant as we possibly can or as, as little unpleasantness as we possibly can really I absolutely.
0: Can you give me an example of some questions that patients have asked you before a procedure like this?
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that people are very concerned about is is the area of awareness under anaesthesia and how we know how deeply they're anaesthetised or how asleep they are and how we know that they're not going to wake up. Um, So obviously we have lots of technical solutions to this. Depending on the sort of anaesthetic we're giving, we can measure the amount of anaesthetic that not only that we're giving to the patient, but that is in the patient going around their circulation basically as well. Um, uh, And certainly with the volatile anaesthetic that people breathe in and out, uh, we can measure exactly how much is is. the patient Um, for intravenous anaesthesia which tends to be far more commonly used for for neurosurgery for a number of reasons we can also use depth of anaesthesia monitoring where you actually look at essentially in layman's terms you look at the brain waves of your patients um, and the electrical signals coming from, from the patient's brain and that is processed by a sort of computer which allows you to have a very good estimate of the depth of anaesthesia. And it really does allow us to be absolutely certain that people are properly anaesthetised and properly asleep during their operation. And again, I think that that is something people find very reassuring to, to hear about.
0: Absolutely. We're often, depending on the operation, joined in theatre by some other colleagues, by neurophysiologists. And they help us out by applying monitors to the patient's arms and legs and other muscles and parts of the body so that they can measure the signals traveling up and down the nerves coming from the brain or the spine to the arms and legs to give the surgeons some idea about whether they are close to important structures and can do anything to avoid causing any unnecessary damage to The power that somebody has on their arms or legs afterwards. And so they're another team member that I really enjoy working with. And they can often give the patients a bit extra reassurance about how they're being monitored and looked after.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and this is a really interesting point because actually functional monitoring is being very widely used now um, for both cranial and spinal surgery and has become really part of of what we would consider to be almost standard uh, intraoperative monitoring, which is a really um, important development that has only occurred relatively recently. Certainly when I was training, it was being used in in some centres, but it was very much more as a research tool and an exception rather than the rule. And it just goes to show the pace of change in medicine and the pace of change in neuroanesthesia and neurosurgery, that, that such a important and useful development has come along in, in a relatively short space of time.
0: Absolutely. So we really do, do a very thorough yeah. job of monitoring people. And that's on top of all the basics of like measuring heart rate and blood pressure and oxygen levels as well, isn't it? Yes. And. Yeah. Um, it, not all surgical procedures in the hospital are done under general anaesthetics. Um, for instance, I've done plenty of hip and knee replacement operations where the patient has had a spinal anaesthetic or some other form of local anaesthetic block so that they can be awake and uh, listening to music, talking to me and my other colleagues in theatre. And that's true of neuroanaesthesia as well sometimes, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. So this is a really fascinating area, I think, and something that neuroanesthetists tend to get very excited about. Um, So one of the important outcomes for patients undergoing neurosurgery is to ensure that there is protection of what we call the eloquent areas of the brain. So those are the areas of the brain that control important functions like speech and movement in particular. Um, And sometimes if somebody, for instance, were to have a a brain tumour close to those areas, then they may be offered an awake operation, awake craniotomy, it's called, um, which allows the surgeon to um, remove the tumour but without damaging those important areas, which allows people to to, retain their their function, their movement and their speech function in particular. And this is is just one example of where we would um, have patients awake in theater. And interestingly, the brain itself doesn't feel any pain. So in fact, um, you can actually have the patient asleep at the beginning for for actually doing the dissection down to to where the surgeon needs to be or in fact you can use local anaesthetic in the scalp to do that first part of the operation and have the patient awake throughout. But once um, the brain's exposed in fact it's not painful Um, which means that surgeons can operate at the same time as the patient is awake and We wouldn't just have them awake just for the sake of being awake. In fact, what they tend to be doing is often that the patients I've looked after will be talking to a speech therapist at the same time who is really closely monitoring their speech and using some very subtle testing to ensure that they don't start to to encounter a deterioration in the more complex elements of of speech, which is extremely fascinating to, to watch. Um, it's not an all or nothing um, a, a sort of uh, situation really. And, and you may start to see some really very subtle changes that actually probably only a, a specialised speech therapist would be able to detect, which tells the surgeon that they really mustn't go any further in in whichever direction they're starting to dissect um, if they want to avoid any, any further risk to speech. Um, The same with movement, we'll often get people, for instance, one of the things we've done, we've got people to squeeze a a, a squeaky dog toy with their hands just to make sure that we can um, easily assess their their motor function because the area of the brain that controls movement um, across both sides also can can have tumours occurring nearby. And it's very important to be able to obviously ensure that there's no damage to the the parts of the brain that we need for movement.
0: Well, you might have seen it on the news, but there was actually a patient in my department who played her violin during her brain surgery because being part of an orchestra was so important to her. She wanted to make sure she maintained that function and it made it all around the world, um, the video recording of her playing her violin for everyone listening on in theatre.
1: Yes, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. I mean, it just goes to show what we can do and how we can try to give people really individualized care that reflects what is important to them when we really sort of put our minds to it with and with the technology that that has developed to allow us to do that um, there are there are also other there are other um, sorts of um, awake neurosurgery in particular for, for people with movement disorders where we would want them to be awake so that we can really carefully look at the very specific, to often tiny areas of the brain that are involved in those movement disorders and operate on those without damaging other areas. So it's it's something that I think has really, again, taken off over the last couple of decades. And there's there's certainly a bright future for, for trying to look after people in the future with these problems.
0: Thanks, Chris. I'm just starting out in my neuroanesthesia career and you've got a few years on me what do you think I'll find myself doing increasingly in the coming years that's perhaps new and wasn't happening when you started uh, your neuroanesthetic career?
1: Well, that's a really interesting question. And uh, trying to look and see what the next 10, 15, 20 years holds is is, is an interesting but often difficult game, isn't it, really? I think one of the things that's occurring across anaesthetic practice as a whole, which will be very important in neuroanesthesia as well, is the development of perioperative care pathways. So it's this idea that we take the patient at the point of decision to come to surgery and we work with them to optimise their coexisting medical conditions, for instance, And then during the time that they're in hospital, obviously, and then afterwards to try and make sure that people have the best possible outcomes. And this is particularly important, given that we know that we're going to have an increasing uh, elderly population who may have other medical problems coexisting with problems that require neurosurgical intervention. And we will need to be able to manage these people appropriately to try and maximise their safety during their hospital stay and also their their good outcomes afterwards as well and that's something that the college has really been involved with a lot over the last few years I think there will definitely be uh, breakthroughs in technology in surgical technology that will have an impact on the way that we provide anaesthetic care so a really good example of that is the huge development in interventional radiology over the last few years, whereby patients who, many patients who have subarachnoid hemorrhage due to an aneurysm in the arteries in their brain um, can be treated by a radiologist who um, uses an endovascular approach, it's called. So, So basically goes through the arterial system to put little coils of metal into the aneurysm rather than requiring them to have a surgical procedure, which is extremely dangerous and technically very challenging and sometimes not possible. And this has enabled us to to provide a huge um, improvement in in the care that many of these patients are able to receive. Now, there's a further development in interventional radiology around treatment of um, thrombectomy for patients who've had a stroke. So patients who've got a blood clot which is technically in medical terms called a thrombus in one of the arteries in their brain will have a stroke so they will lose the function in the territory of the brain that is supplied by that artery Uh, and radiologists have devised a technique that using Again, going through the arterial system using a small catheter, they can physically remove the blood clot, which is an incredible thing to behold, um, to enable the blood supply to to be reestablished to that area of of the brain. And it's had some really, really wonderful results. The early, you know, uh, trials suggested that we can get fantastic improvements in people's functional outcomes, which makes such a difference to their lives. Uh, for for patients that are suffering from from strokes. So I think this is something that's going to take off hugely as well.
0: Absolutely. That's one of my favourite procedures to be involved in, because while it won't necessarily work for every patient, it's just extraordinary to see somebody who can't move one side of their body when you put them off to sleep. And then if the procedure is completed successfully, see them moving both arms and both legs again afterwards because it's worked.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always great to talk about a subject you're passionate in with a colleague who feels the same.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much.
0: And if you've enjoyed listening to Dr. Carey and I discuss neuroanesthesia, please listen out for some of the other podcasts in this series. Thank you and goodbye.